0: Is worse sin.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so Jesus. It says We're going so live, guys. Jesus Go never on, saved guys. anyone. Okay. Anyway. So yeah, um, it's about it's about baptismal regeneration. He's holding a sign that says you must be placed in water for salvation.
2: <laughs> I'm sure David's never been prouder.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's a pretty good depiction of David, actually. Uh, I'll
2: have to check it out. Grab a grab a, share your screen there, Dave. Let's see. Let's I'm, see.
1: I'm I'm holding my phone and oh. uh, and yeah, so I'm not sure how to I'm not sure how to do a screen share on my phone.
0: If if uh, if Shia Alexandria is watching, I've got my kombucha and a mason cup just for my. Is it Shea or is cred. it Shay? I always thought shea. I pronounced Shay. Okay, sorry sh- sorry Shay. I'm I drinking a- kombucha tonight. Oh wow! Cheers. Um, I know a girl that's named Shay, um, but I think her her entire name is Shayla, something like that. So that's just what I'm gonna think of from now on when I think of Shay Alexander.
3: This it's is Alexander, pineapple,
0: Alexandria. Pineapple. I've got um, gingerberry, and it was free because, uh, we know people who get uh, stuff from Whole Foods for free. I guess stuff so doesn't sell. So.
2: So we should let everybody know tonight um, we're even less agendized or prepared than we normally are. So we're open to uh, whatever anybody wants us wants to hear us opine about. Um, So if you have something you want to you want clarification from the week or whatever, uh, go ahead and hit us up in the in the comments and we'll we'll try to address it. Excuse me. Welcome, Anthony. We're we're live already. You,
0: Do you must have be- audio. Well, while he figures out how to unmute his his <laughs> mic, I'd like to draw attention to the book behind me. I hope everyone can.
3: <laughs>
0: the fire that consumes by Edward Fudge. Um, and I, along with that, I know we're not going to talk about this tonight because. People don't want to. Besides me, I, I always want to talk about it. But um, I, I wanted to do a little demonstration, a little show and tell. Um, you gonna uh, burn something? So, this is a piece of paper. <laughs> and kids definitely do not try this at home. But what I'm gonna show you is what happens with fire. Um, notice that it's it's. This is actually probably a bad idea. <laughs> um, notice that it's completely consuming the paper. And by the time it's all said and done, there's nothing there. So that's just oh, that's a, a little show and tell. I know that 50% of the people on this podcast, even though the, that, that 50%, their views do not coincide. I know that 50% of the people on here really have a hard time with the idea that fire would, would consume something.
2: Well, that's not the hard part. It's how you get smoke from that to go on forever and ever. Just just like Sodom and
0: Gomorrah.
1: (laughs) We said we weren't going to talk about this. What in the world? Now, I will say, His Holiness George R. Bronk actually addresses that issue in his seminal book, Ready Scriptural Reasons. Um, They were going to put scriptural reasons that I made up as I thought of them, but that didn't fit on the title, so they went with the shorter... (laughs) um we'll just say he pulled he was pulling he was pulling um a bunch of stuff out of some place we're alive so we won't say exactly where he was pulling it out of but it was like one of those magic clown scarves you know where he's just (laughs) pulling it and it keeps coming out you know but um yeah it's it's an amazing book if you can lay hands on that book but he addresses that issue um and he says basically uh, when you burn something with fire, well, it's not, it's not actually gone. There's smoke and there's ash and there's heat energy that's released. And so um, that proves that people don't burn up either. Yeah, you can't well, argue with that.
0: <laughs> if, if, we, if we want to get into this topic, we should invite Chris Date on. D- uh, David, do you know who Chris Date is? You're still popping a lot, Titus. Yeah, you okay. are a lot. Maybe, maybe I should just get rid of this mic and just use earbuds. Um, how's it sounding now? I don't, I don't know. It's a little, little fishy.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, hang on, I'll be
2: back. Are you uh, following the feed on DKCM? Dave? I'm just
1: pulling it up just now. Let me see. Okay, we don't have any questions yet. Come on, ask your questions, guys. Well, what, we didn't. What do you want, us, what do you want us to
2: talk about? We didn't advertise or anything. You know what we should do is pull up yeah, our uh, he's meme he's of the watching. week. I told everybody that um, that Andrew Powers Cuomo uh, video meme was the top contender. I got three or four votes for it.
1: Yeah, that was, that was funny. No, 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 (laughs) no.
2: But then also um, yours was in the running too. I had a few people mention yours with the water pipe, Dave.
1: Oh yeah. People seem to like that one. Yeah. one just kind of came to me as a way of expressing what everybody thought. Drew said, Drew said I did a better job explaining um, what he believed then than he was even able to articulate so i I felt like I'd really heard him <clears throat> and what's up with all of you guys going
2: to uh this Wesleyan college
1: yeah we didn't all go to the same one but there's oh, <clears throat> just a one yeah with the uh, see the conservative holiness movement has um has Let's see, four, four major colleges that uh, they're kind of affiliated with different ones of the major denominations. There's Hope Sound down in Florida, and there's Allegheny Wesleyan here in Salem, just about 10 minutes from where I live now. And there's um, Penn View, which is out in, actually, there's five. Uh, Penn View, which is out in uh, Penns Creek, Pennsylvania. And uh, there's GBS, which is the oldest one. That one's down in Cincinnati. And then finally there's UBC in, uh, what is it? Westfield, Indiana, I think. A suburb of of Indianapolis. So I attended Allegheny Westland, and um, uh, Joel attended Hope Sound. And then... um, his name i'm drawing a blank on the other fellow that zach attended uh or attends currently uh gbs so yeah it's very very similar culture although where i went would have been a lot more conservative like gbs and hope sound definitely hope sound would have been considered very much on the liberal end of things um allegheny was kind of has a fair a fair level of of um Of godly pride in their their stricter stances.
2: Yeah. So, how holiness are the holiness still? Like, no Coca Cola holiness or no No. necktie
1: holiness? Um, No, they would like Allegheny is kind of uh, they they're not like strict about it, but it's the whole white shirt, black tie kind of thing. Black tie is a little bit of a their their uniform that's changed some, but they're pretty they're they're pretty uh you know hardlined. depends it depends on where you talk in the domination too that, like every place else they they loosened up over time
2: yeah i knew I, I i never been around a whole lot of holiness people but i was friends with some pentecostal holiness people for a while in virginia and north carolina and they those those dudes are pretty serious so what what group would it have been I don't know. You know those churches with like seventeen words in the title.
1: Okay. Um, like
2: the Church of the Holy Jesus Christ and Word of Prophecy from the Apostles and the Scriptures. Okay, that would be
1: yeah, Blue that would Mountain
2: be. Revelation of Jesus by the Holy Spirit Church, kind of church.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's not something uh, that that wouldn't be in the conservative holiness uh, umbrella.
2: Well, they were Pentecostal holiness.
1: Okay, yeah, see, the, <clears throat> the Holiness people I would associate with would draw a firm line of distinction between them and the Pentecostals. Mm. Like, they, they don't believe in tongue speaking and all that kind uh-huh. of thing, although they do believe in spirit-led emotionalism. Oh, come on now. Um, so... How do I
0: sound now? Am I still popping?
2: No, you sound better. You sound a little tinny, but you sound mm. much better.
1: Someone, someone messaged me and, and asked if we maybe we could discuss the Holy Kiss.
2: Oh. oh boy! I don't know
1: what you all think about that, but that uh...
2: Titus and I have very strong feelings about the holy kiss.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think that w- we should go ahead and-, and not kiss each other. That's where I'm at. COVID nineteen? You mean? Even- yeah. Especially now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's just chalking up the reasons.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, but uh, but seriously, you don't approve it. You don't approve a guy smooching.
0: I mean, it's it's fine within a culture where that's the accepted greeting, um, but in our culture, it's it's certainly not. And I think that the holy kiss is just a prime example of a topic where it feels like it feels like the whole like literal wooden obedience to scripture becomes it, there. There comes a point I think where we would all agree where it becomes a little absurd. And I, th- I guess we have different cutoff points, and that's my cutoff point. But maybe you guys wouldn't agree with framing, framing it that way. Maybe, maybe there's no point of absurdity for you. I don't know.
2: Well, let me – so I think that's it, – it, you, you drew the mark at the right place, whether or not, whether or not those injunctions from the apostles are something that's condition, a condition of that culture – or if they're injunctions for the church writ large, and I I I prefer the idea that they're actually instructions for the church all, across all time. The fact that it's called the holy kiss, uh, not a greeting, not just like a customary greeting, and the fact that other customary greetings are talked about in the in the New Testament, like the right hand of fellowship. Like there are, there are other kinds of customary greetings, but none of them are called holy. And there's one thing that's called holy, and it's the holy kiss or the kiss of charity. Those, are, those kinds of modifiers on that greeting distinguish it as something special and unique to the Christian culture. And I think now, now okay, so that's, that's, I think, fact, textual fact. Now let me speculate on why I think that is. I think that the, the kiss of Judas is such an, a central component to the, to the passion and to the message of Jesus in the context of a family of disciples that the, the apostles passed on this form of greeting into the church as this internal compass about our, our relationships. And so what I think is that anyone who's serious about the gospel of Jesus and knows the passion narrative has to think about judas when he kisses his brother and you're either playing judas or you're playing straight with your brother and so when i greet my brethren, when i see them on when i see them at a meeting or or wherever and i greet my brother there's this like if you have some ought against your brother something inside of you goes oh like i'm the judas i'm the betrayer and that's why I think that the Christian greeting is supposed to be forever for all of us, the holy kiss, the kiss of charity. It's, it's this way of, it's this barometer of our relationship that's built into our culture.
0: And you get the whole Judas thing from one of the early church fathers, not from the New Testament itself, correct?
2: No, it's, far, it's part in the, the Garden holy of kiss. Gethsemane when Jesus is betrayed yeah. with a
0: kiss. Sure, yeah, but I'm talking about connecting that to the Holy Kiss. Or is that I your own know. idea? I, I don't know if anybody... Uh, I have to look. I'm not familiar with that.
2: I'm sure somebody has, but i that's not where I got it from, no. You got It's original with you? I mean, unless I read it and didn't take note of it. But I <clears> usually <throat> take note of stuff I read.
0: I mean, you could be right. I, all of what you said is plausible. It just... Uh, I can't get myself to believe that that's true you know there's well why there's certain, is it called
2: holy and why is it why is it called charity those aren't well, things that are just customary greetings i don't give people holy handshakes
0: well if if the early church was in 2020 then that's probably what paul would have said um mm, you know really? it's it's for the holy hug yeah i mean we're <laughs> bible says whatever you do do it all to the glory of god like we're supposed to do we're also supposed to do everything let everything you do be done in love right so um that that as far as the the, the kiss of charity that kind of falls apart if you compare it to that verse now why it's called holy because we're supposed to be holy in in the loving way we greet each other. <laughs> I mean, I I can see why you you can construct an argument for it. It just it it doesn't land with me in the same way that um, telling, I guess it was Timothy to to get his coat for him and um, drink a little wine because of your frequent ailments. I mean, I it that you, that would be I think your cutoff point where you'd say it, it's absurd to say that we all need to drink a little wine and that's a a biblical principle. Right. So that's my point at the beginning is we all have a cutoff point where that sort of literal wooden adherence to the letter of the law becomes absurd. And I I draw it at the Holy kiss. Like it, I just can't get myself to believe that that was like some powerful ordinance that was laid down. So,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I I could continue to argue with you, but it would all be along the same lines. Like yes. the the narrative of of the betrayal mm-hmm. and the centrality of the kiss in the passion narrative are, are are more than coincidences when you when you consider the apostles telling people to greet each other that way. But I, I, what I will say is that I think that's a fairly sustainable. Uh, way of looking at those injunctions and we do know that it was the common practice for the church and here's where here's a here's a test case for I think something that's that's a, a relevant way to look at what how do we use the patristic examples and what what good are they and what good aren't they I think I agree with you Titus that if we had if we had some kind of If followers of the way decided that we had to, anytime we went somewhere and saw, anytime I went and saw Finney, I had to take him a parchment. That would be weird. Or or we had to go on a pilgrimage to Bethany every time at a certain time of the year because Jesus walked that way or whatever. Like, I get it. There's some weird things that people will do with obviously localized instructions from the narrative, but uh, the high churches are famous for that stuff. But I don't think that that things that are described as holy custom uh, fall in that category and and that are given by by way of instruction.
0: I think I would do better debating hell with you. I wasn't really (laughs) prepared to debate this. (laughs) Um. Um,
1: Can we agree at least that if you're going to practice it, it don't mean you have to kiss people in the airport?
0: Don't see, would disagree do disagree with that. I, I think I think you should. If if this is the the correct greeting, why not do it all the time? Like, why are you ashamed of it?
2: Well, I'm not. We do. I I greet my brothers when I see them in the airport. On so the lips. You, <laughs> I'm in. I don't know. I'm not planning or plotting, but we kiss each other.
0: Do you kiss? Do you kiss your brother in Christ as the customary greeting every time you see them? Like you forego a handshake? No, no. It,
2: there, there is something extemporaneous about it. I think what we try to do generally is that we, we try to do it at meetings because it's a good marker. Like, especially if you live in community, like when I lived in the same house, like the same driveway as Finney, every time we saw each other, we didn't greet each other, but we made it a point to do it anytime we were coming together as a church So that there was a good reminder that we were, you know, if we were going to have communion together, if we're going to have a meeting together, if we hadn't seen each other for a while, certainly if we lived apart from each other and I picked him up at the airport, I would greet him like those kinds of like remembrances, I, I think are valuable, but I'm not ashamed about doing it out in public. I don't like a brother. I haven't seen like one of the brothers from the other congregations that I never see. If I run into him in Boston in a sandwich shop or wherever, I for sure will kiss him
0: and uh, so why don't you kiss across genders i mean is that just sort of a, a common sense thing
2: yeah okay yeah just
0: propriety <laughs> um yeah but it doesn't uh, say that does it, no. <laughs> it this ex- this this conversation will will become exhausted very your quickly. your mic's because...
2: off An- anthony we don't got we don't have any sound for you
0: I, I think we can exhaust this conversation very quickly because I don't really have any more arguments for, for my cause. Besides I, I just don't buy it, you know? Well, I, I okay.
2: But let me ask you this, let, let's, let's do a little bit of, of Titus analysis since we're at it is growing up in a wooden church where it was this kind of stodgy customary thing, like a, like a, a wooden action that happened and i know how young men growing up in those churches are super uncomfortable about it especially you know you go you go through instruction and then you go from one sunday hanging out with your buddies to some old man kissing you and you're like it's weird is that a part of your reluctance
0: yeah i'm sure i'm sure my entire worldview is colored deeply by my upbringing in the beachy amish mennonite world i mean i've only been away from that world for you know, seven years or so. So most of my life has been, and, and I'm, I'm a young, I'm 26, you know, I haven't had a lot of time to form a ton of, well, actually I have formed a ton of beliefs other than what I was taught, but you know, it, it takes a little time to, to sort through things if, if you've grown up in such a, a strong group like that. So I'm, I'm sure everything has been colored by that. And in, interestingly, getting to know that the kingdom Christian crowd, it has more than anything uh, begun to shift my perspective to where I am starting to accept a lot of those things again, just because it comes from a totally different starting point. And it's, it's sort of like it, it's, it's, it's surprising and new and fresh. A lot of these things that I rejected. Um, and it makes me way more open to them. So uh, that's me throwing you a bone. Um, but, but there, yeah, I, I just, I don't buy it like well, if uh, I was listening to uh, and and there's a probably a little halo over my head because of this, but I was listening to David Berceau's book, the Will the real heretics please stand up? And I' listened to like eight chapters of it as I worked So there's my virtue signaling for everybody, um, all the kingdom Christians out there. I was listening to the the Pope of Kingdom Christianity today. but one <laughs> one thing he was really emphasizing in those first couple chapters of that book is how, the the commands of of the of Jesus and the apostles are countercultural, right? And so the holy kiss clearly was not in terms of the normal customary cultural greeting. Um, it looks like Matthew's lost right in the middle of my wonderful speech addressed to him. But anyways, yeah. my, my my point is that it, it was yeah. not countercultural. It was cultural. It was it was it was getting the The current Mm -hmm. cultural greeting and infusing it with a supernatural Christian love, right? And that's what I would say we should all do. That's how we should apply that scripture today is get the current accepted cultural greeting and infuse it with a holy uh, special Christian love. Um, And it's so great that Matthew's not here because he can't rebut what I just said. So I'm I'm all good on that front.
3: Yeah, yeah, we. We have lots of, uh, lots of unity now, the Matthews, uh,
0: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Are you a kisser, Anthony? Uh, Um, well, I was, I was just going to ask if there's historical precedent for whether the early church practiced it, um, across gender or not. Um, I think that's important to know. Um, because if you're going to say, well, I don't do it because propriety, um, across gender well then i can make that same argument for doing it at all in the modern yeah in the modern world but yeah i i i am not a i'm not a voluntary kisser (laughs) um i i i come i mean i i I do kiss my wife uh, (laughs) but i come at it from from uh Kind of the same perspective yeah that you do titus is uh there's matthew again there we go We lost him titus <laughs> titus gave you a very nice little speech matthew and you were just gone for it so i think it was it, I, maybe the lord didn't want him to cast his pearls before swine maybe
0: yeah. that might have been a- anthony was asking if the early church if there's examples of the early church not doing the kiss across genders like did they only do it between genders and he made the point that if we're using the propriety argument to not do that then he could use that same argument to say we shouldn't do it in our culture at all
2: um there's some indication that in some places like i think there's one or two mentions of actually greeting across the genders uh tertullian has kind of a vague reference about a woman who's married to an unbeliever and how would he tolerate her greeting in the church and i don't know um i don't you know how much do you put on that I, i i don't when it's one or two statements what we know is ubiquitous is that the christian greeting was always going on in all the churches were they doing it across the genders everywhere i don't know what what evidence there is there's a few there's a few comments that they were so so when you practice to
3: the contrary what's that and no evidence to the contrary correct not greeting across gender lines i don't think nothing said about yeah that suggests it's i think the other reference
2: is actually hermes his guides are are in female form and they greet him I think yeah. those references that I know of that are about greeting.
1: So if that's what the so early so practice I've, was, I've, I've, then why not continue that?
3: Well, on Hermas there. Well, Matthew never saw that question coming. No, I've, I've <laughs> quite
2: a few. T- um, I just I, I don't know that those are, uh, I I don't know how relevant they are. I don't know if it, if. If it matters or not, I, I don't think that it invalidates the custom by by not greeting across gender lines.
3: Well, my, I have a question though. I, I, I think I don't know. if The question is whether it invalidates the custom, because I'd probably be more. Uh, here, here's my quotable for the night. I'd probably be more interested in it if it was across gender lines, because <laughs> that would, because that would suggest that we actually believe what we're what what you're saying the kiss means which is that we're a family um it would it would mean that we have that brotherly sisterly relationship within the church that in the exact same way that it's supposed to not be weird when two guys just meet in walmart and kiss each other um that it shouldn't be weird if a man and a woman kiss each other um within within the church like we and i really do believe like i believe that if we have the kind of relationships we're supposed to have in the church um that actually wouldn't be weird i i am not convinced that that greeting is supposed to be carried over but in our in our group we we embrace with the people that were the closest to it, in in a brotherly in a brotherly and sisterly way and we don't and like, I don't hug my sisters the same way I hug my brothers, but there's, there's, a, there's a wholesomeness and freedom you have with people you have really invested in um, in that way that, like, the church really is supposed to be closer to each other than brothers and sisters. So if we're going to take that very intimate um, custom out of, because the early church practiced it, because Paul says to do it, But we're then going to strip it of one of the primary symbols, which is, I mean, in kissing cultures today, let's say France or Italy, I'm not terribly familiar, you know, a lot of the, I think a lot of Eric, I don't know what works in those, but in Muslim cultures, but in, 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 uh, in Western cultures that still kiss. um, If you have a close female relative, I think it's normal to kiss, um, to kiss across genders as well it's not something that's just done between men who are close to each other and and so and so I think there's that you're you're actually if if that kiss is like it's carrying some kind of almost sacramental meaning I think it matters whether we're suddenly knocking half the church out and excluding them from that because we're actually that that's a pretty big distortion of what the early church was doing if they were not distinguishing. Well, that that's a big assumption and it's not
2: cutting anybody out. If women greet women and men greet men and there's lots of there's lots of kissing cultures where it's it, it you would never kiss a woman. The Arabs certainly are a kissing culture. Of course. They wouldn't kiss across genders. Right. Season. I don't even think in antiquity. And, and I think even in European kissing cultures, it wasn't all that common. I think that the kissing across genders, even among French and Italians, it, it, it's more of a modern phenomenon, like, like American hugging across genders. That wasn't nearly okay. as common a hundred years ago as it as it is today. So I it think would, the fact, like, that even, even
3: within families
2: though, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, do I I don't know if I kiss my mother or my sisters. I usually hug them. I have right. from time to time, if I haven't seen them in a long time, but probably not my sister, but probably my mother. But that's a super, you know, uh, super individualized yeah. version. I, I think that what's what I think is important is that that the the custom continues in the church. And I think that in in there's the fact that we see a, a, a variableness that women greet women, or in some cases, it, greeting happens across gender lines, the fact that the church is still greeting and keeping that alive among the brethren is what, what's significant, I think, that's supposed to be carried on. How it's administered, whether you do it at the airport, across genders, what what are the times and seasons when you do and don't? Uh, all those are variables that I don't much care about. I mean, I I care personally, but I don't care in the long
3: run.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I see. See, I would I think I would say that make make that same statement, but I would just back it up one step, which is what to me the core of the thing is that we have this kind of extremely deep, intimate family love between us in the brotherhood, and that and that that's one of the marks, one of the external marks of what sets Jesus' disciples apart from other people, and that there's this, there's this supernatural love that transcends family, um, that, that supersedes, you know, the normal love between families even, that will die for and that there is some visible way that that's that that's being manifested to the world because Jesus says this is how you'll know how 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 the world will know that you're my disciples, um, and I think that's you know to me when I look in the New Testament I see the way the kiss seems to have been used. That's that's what it manifests. That's what the you know that's that's why Judas's Judas's uh, crime was such a crime, um, is because he had that kind of relationship was in that kind of relationship with Christ. And he violated it. Um, he, you know, he 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 engaged in that manifestation of brotherly love, hypocritically. Um, so, but but to me, if if that's the reason, if that's like the core of the of the purpose, if that's the foundation for the holy kiss in in New Testament times, then whatever manifestation of brotherly love most most makes that makes that makes the re- internal reality most readily available to the world to the world's observation is what we should be using now. So I I, ha- I just have a slightly different focus.
2: I mean, all those things are true enough, but I think that the reason that the kiss is enjoined is is because of its its distinctive place in the passion narrative and the individual the individualization of a barometer of my relationship with my brother is really what's it about. I mean there's all kinds of ways in which we demonstrate our love for each other and in our care for one another and our charity like there's lots of forms of that but there's nothing like the kiss there's nothing that is a reenactment of the passion on the regular Mm -hmm. for the church that displays like where I put myself in the potentially in the betrayer's position that's what I think is unique and remarkable about the holy kiss so i think that's i now again n- nowhere says that i'm finding a reason from a from a practice but uh, but i think it's a very good reason
0: so matthew would you agree that if jesus had been crucified in 2020 that judas would have probably be betraying jesus with a hug or with you know a a, a dap? is that what it's called the Urban I hope not <laughs> no seriously though if if it was twenty twenty that's probably what would have happened, and therefore from then on in in the year four thousand people would be there'd be the holy hug or whatever, and it just seems
1: yeah, uh, but so he had I... he'd had cheetos at the last supper too, you know mm.
0: so. That's a good. Yeah, that point. kind of that revision is fraught with. I completely problems. refutes my point. That that point falls apart completely uh, upon that observation, um, and so if if it is true that it is tied to the betrayal in that way, then I, I, I would say that in the same way that we should use wine. Um, point taken. I just don't I don't see anywhere in scripture that it's tied specifically to the betrayal in that way. Um, so I would say your work is still in front of in you. The so in the In script, in the New Testament, in the patristics, I don't know.
2: Well, here's another good barometer of how culturally adaptive people are. Uh, it's a similar thing. I find that people, generally people who don't hold a high value on, on the Christian greeting also don't hold a high value on, on actual foot washing. Like they see in Jesus's foot washing example, more of a moralism, uh, a a, a parable, an acted out, like serve one another, be nice to each other. And it's kind of a Quaker take, like you don't have to really wash each other's feet, just do the kinds of things that are servile to one another. Whereas it seems like people who are more generally more disposed towards these literal enactments of, of these things, uh, like the holy kiss are much more see jesus saying happy are you if you do these things and they say okay jesus is telling me to actually get down on my knees and wash my brother's feet
0: and i would actually agree with that i mean my church does do foot washing and i don't have a problem with it but i do think that if we fool ourselves in believing that getting down and doing a, a, a ritual foot washing is anything close to what Jesus was doing by actually washing dirt off of his disciples feet and actually taking the servant's position that it, that that was in the first century I think we're completely fooling ourselves like it's just we, we there's not the same scandal as there was in the first century for Jesus to do that and there's not actual dirt on our brother's feet so I think that we, we should take a moral principle and say whatever it is in our culture that is that scandalous and that you know culture bending and culture breaking and countercultural we should we should do the equivalent of that and i think that's actually more important than the the ritual of of foot washing in the church although i personally don't have a problem with doing it as a ritual but i would see the primary application of that scripture as you know find the cultural equivalent of this and and follow Jesus in that way having said that the story of Jesus washing his disciples feet is one of my favorite in the entire gospel because there's nothing more there's nothing more powerful than the the teacher doing that for his disciples it's, it's amazing um but yeah I, I probably wouldn't attach the same sacramental value to it as, as you would
2: well we're we're throwing the sacramental word around a little loosely
0: i i, I don 't think the i don 't know
2: that i'd put the holy kiss or foot washing in a sacramental category but but i i i do i would put them in a literal obedience category and I would rather someone serve their brothers and not wash feet than wash feet and not serve their brothers but that 's not a mutually exclusive thing I think that to actually go through getting on your knees is still humiliating. It's not in the same way. I certainly agree with you. It doesn't at all mean the same thing it does. Although uh, I hang out in a little bit less refined circles than Anabaptist crowds. So I've washed plenty of dirty feet, but, um, but nonetheless, it's not, it's not the same servile position that it was, but it is humbling. And it is, there is something remarkable about holding your brother's feet in in your hands and washing them yourself like there's that is a humbling act it does something to us to actually perform that that duty it doesn't it doesn't answer the whole problem but it does do something to us
1: if you've ever had the conversation with somebody who's not used to the practice of washing feet um I take, a, I take a little bit, I agree that in our culture, it's probably not as scandalous as it would have been for the time of Christ, um, but there is, there, is something, there is something there that there is a resistance to. Um, if you didn't grow up doing it and you suggest to people that, um, that maybe that's something Jesus intended, oh, absolutely not. That is ridiculous. Re- I'm not doing that. I'm not okay with that. Um, and I've, I've had those conversations. We were talking about being at Holiness College. Um, you know, I've had that conversation with all my Holiness friends, you know, and that's just like, you know, I would never do that. So I think there, right. I really think there is some value, like you said, Matthew, in the getting down in your knees and, you know, the water. Um, and and that There, there's just something really valuable about it. Um, even if it's maybe not the, the complete connection over cultures. I think it's a different kind of scandal, but I still think that the practice of feet washing is, is scandalous even now.
2: So here to well, come think- full circle, we, we don't wa- I don't wash the sister's feet in, in, in our congregations, in, in any of the congregations that I've been in, um, but I don't think that that means that we've lost the effect of, of, of participating in that ritual. Like the, the substance of it is still there, even though now did, did they in the early church? I don't know. Do they in other places? I don't know. I, 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 I certainly wouldn't call someone Pope a sinner. We do. Who does? Pope Francis. Oh, he washes women's feet. Yeah.
3: So yes, anyhow, but so yeah. Um, see to me i I don't think like i think that's that's real like if we can if we can use a, a practice to like really put a a visceral um you know as a as a training vehicle to really plant that concept of humiliation between our brothers that leadership is getting down and serving um i think that's a good thing but i don't think that 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 resistance is like that that you i don't think that resistance and that sense of of you know irritation to the selfish uh, person is unique to foot washing i mean if you imagine for instance um, the scenario of a you know so, uh, let's say let's say uh, david berceau since since he, since titus has already titled him the pope um, <laughs> David Brousseau comes in from 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 out east to some little to to some meeting somewhere he's going to be a featured speaker and you know he notices that the bathrooms are just are just a chaotic mess like somebody that was setting up the logistics of the meetings didn't get nobody got assigned to that and so you know people run across him in the restrooms down on his hands and knees with his sleeves rolled up cleaning toilets, you know, um, because it needs done, like that would be a very startling thing to someone. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, and many, many people Mm who, who, who reach a, like, like many people would, would not want to do something like that unless they would feel like if, if if, yeah, if, if I've got this status in this, in, in this social situation, then I don't belong down here doing this. I've got important stuff to do. Um, that's there's all kinds of ways that y- you know, changing a baby's diaper or or uh, you know, somebody overflowed the toilet at one of our meetings recently, and and uh, you know, a young man who I think had grown up in a big family cleaning up toilets a lot, you know, ended up ended up mopping up the bathroom while the rest of us were getting started with the meal. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things like that that are just. Um, just a segue into this, I think this is a worthwhile thing to discuss. I don't think it's an argument against practicing literal holy kiss, literal foot washing, but I think it's, it's something definitely to be aware of and maybe to discuss if we're going to promote it. And that is that um, I don't know if this is causative, but I have observed that, that Christian um, persuasions that practice many of those You know, detailed. uh, You know, you who tend to view those things as commands for all time, like you do. Um, In like in in you know, the other three of us have this Anabaptist background. We've all you know, the Anabaptists, modern Anabaptists at least, tend to draw a lot of those literal scriptural interpretations out and then and then try to practice them, whether it's done after the fact or before, and what tends to, what what i've noticed tends to happen is that there's a there seems to be a correlation between people feeling very satisfied that they're fulfilling this principle because they obey the commands that other people are neglecting and that very sense of accomplishment almost immunizes them from recognizing the way that they are flagrantly Violating them in the act, in, in the actual places where it counts, um, and I can think of you know I can think of for example I, I spent some time in Hutterite colonies, um, and there are colonies I, I think most Hutterites would agree with me on this. There are colonies they live in common purse, they officially have nothing, um, and yet you know a lot of the people on the colony are completely selfish um, living to get and grab whatever they can. And yet most, most Hutterites have this, who are still living in the colony and, and, and loyal have this very strong belief that they, among all the people of the world are fulfilling the book of Acts. You know, they're, they're living in this, all things in common. They're living in this situation and, and because that very belief prevents them from repenting. Um, what and it appears that that's exactly what was happening with the pharisees of jesus time as well how do you what you know what's what's the connection between those things what causes what and if you're going to practice those those uh things like foot washing um things like you know maybe maybe more more a more structured form of common sharing um or or a or a um you know, the holy kiss, so these these kinds of really pra- literal interpretations, how do you make sure that those things actually are leading you toward the, re- the, the, the principle infused in everyday life and not immunizing you against repentance where you're not practicing that principle?
2: Yeah, I think that's the religious tendency because those same groups also hold non-resistance and it becomes about not going to war yes. and to actually over So it's across the board that we see that that these these the ritualization of a belief system kind of tends towards this stultification this uh woodening or making rigid and stony like i have a practice to to hang this this idea on so i don't really conceptualize what's going on at the heart of it and that's just the tendency of of religion i think and so it's something that always needs to be guarded against. It's something that always needs to be. And I think that, that looking for fruit of those things is, is one of the curatives. There's probably others, but to, to... what's sad to me is that, that group. when I talk about the holy kiss as a convert to the concept, uh, I encounter people all the time who have never thought about why it should matter. And and that mm-hmm. discourse about the passion narrative and this internal barometer in in the Christian greeting, that that's a signal to me. Like the the churches that have have used that and kept it, it's so detached from the meaning that the potential meaning mm-hmm. in it. And and it, it's just across the board with everything. So looking for the fruit of those things, I think, is a huge part of. Like, okay, we have foot washing, but do, do do I have any, like, any concept of how I'm serving people in real ways? I'm greeting the brethren, but do I, am I really acting like these people are my family? Like, you have to, just, any concept you of the one and the other in real ways, I'm greeting the brethren, but do I, am I really acting like these people are my family? Like, you have to, just, any concept you of the one and the other in real way.
1: There's an interesting psychological, um, and I I forget what the term for it is, but it's the idea that um, it's like psychological compensation. Um, for instance, the stereotypical, um, you know, I want to, you know, a, somebody at a restaurant ordering um, a burger with extra cheese and two large fries and a Diet Coke. And that uh, drinking the diet coke then somehow, in their mind, uh, frees them up to go ahead mm-hmm. and eat the burger and and, and the two fries. And I, I can't remember what the psychological term for it is, but there's actually it's actually damaging to people to have those compensating things because then they excuse themselves for doing much worse things than they normally would have done because they think somehow it balances them out so I think I think that if we're not careful to have practices in their proper places like Anthony was saying that um, I'm 100% agree with that that we actually it's it's not it's not even not a positive it's actually a strong negative because it um, it it actually encourages worse decisions than, than you know than it otherwise would have been
2: well, and it can ironically other people, you know, like like I think I think what Anthony was getting at is, you know, there's this form of, of how to write practice where it's we're the ones we're the chosen ones who who have the common purse or we're the people who, who literally practice the greeting and, you know, all, all these like. the 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 ritual observance creates this special group especially I think in a in a in a culture a religious culture where those there's so little of that it it can really make you feel special like I'm one of the chosen ones because I still do it and that that probably has even that exacerbates the effect I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Well, what else should we talk about? Is there anything else on anybody's hit list?
0: You're muted, Anthony. Still muted.
3: All right, am I back? Yes, you are back. That's weird, my mic is just- Are
0: we running out of things to talk about, guys? (laughs) I I thought this was impossible.
3: (laughs) Well, I I was going to i going to ask one more thing about rituals, um, and that is, uh, you know, there's a relatively small number of people in the world. And it isn't a point for or against the rituals, but there's a relatively small number of Christians in the world who practice say, foot washing and, um, <clears throat> and the holy kiss, literally, versus the Eucharist, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And... There's an ex- extremely large overlap between those Christians and ritualistic groups that pride themselves in their superior righteousness and don't and like flagrantly defy the submission to Christ in all, in you know multiple areas that matter. Um, and we could name a lot of those examples, but I think they're top of mind for most of us here, but, um, at what point does the fact that most of the people practicing, um, the mo- it, at what point do we say there's an approach to looking to interpreting practices like that and translating them into modern life that, that, um, that there's an approach to that that produces literal literal renderings of, of certain of those commands that most Christians don't see as, as uh, commands for all time. That also tends to create ritualism um, just in, in across the board. It's, are those two things coming from the same source um, or are they... Does a certain way of looking at... Um, at how we translate scripture into practice, or is there a certain way of looking at that 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 then sets us up to create ritualistic systems? The ritual um, supersedes the the principle. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to make the argument that it does. It just seems to me that it's it's the the, the correspondence is so high, um, the correlation between those two things. Um, that that it's worth asking the question.
2: Yeah, I, I i would I would approach again the other doctrinal distinctives of those same groups and ask ask the question in the same light. I mean, does believing in non resistance produce people who are insular and don't know how to reach out? Like, I, I don't I don't think that I think that there's a correlation, not a causation, between those things. Mm-hmm it's it, especially well, there's, in... there's a lot
3: more Christian group that believe in non-resistance than there are that believe in the literal holy kiss and foot washing
2: well you're still talking about a very very small slice of the modern christendom pie it's just maybe a little bit bigger
3: yes you are yeah but go <laughs> ahead you you I don't think you were finished
2: with yeah i just interview. think that uh, i i don't I, I think that that's that so when I look at a lot of these issues where I put the onus of the problem is in what happens it, it, when when the church withdraws and insulates and I, I hate to say it, but that's that's basically synonyms with conservatism to me when when the church does that when she's not actively reaching out and making disciples and and being living like the church in her given area that's what happens i think it can't be any other way like it's a function of the church turning its back on the world and going retreating into her whatever corner of the world she's you know scratched out for herself and and but but what happens that vivifies all these things not just out in the world, but within the church is having to articulate it and having to explain it and having to have it make sense and talking to people who know nothing about it, who know nothing about the gospel narrative, who know nothing about this footwashing practice, who know nothing about the Holy Kiss, who know nothing about the the gospel teachings, having to explain those things and make them make sense to somebody else and watch people assimilate to those ideas and latch onto them and make them their own is the process by which these things stay alive in the church. And I think that's across the board. That's doctrinal stuff. It's praxis stuff. It's the whole thing. When somebody comes from outside, sees it, loves it, changes and assimilates to it, and then goes out and does the same that's the process by which all these things stay alive in the church. And when the church loses that mission, that's when all these things become bulwarks and, you know, they keep things out instead of bringing things in. Yeah, that's a good
0: point.
1: I like that a lot.
0: If if we were going to transition to another topic, I I thought we could talk about COVID a little bit um, because, and, and, and I know that's quite a, that's not, a, not not a great segue. Um, pretty abrupt <laughs> there. But th- there's there's been, you know, some, some new findings. I'm thinking of the, I, I think it was antibody tests in New York City um, that they were doing on people that showed that a very, very large percentage of the people in New York have COVID, um, which means that it's a lot less, Deadly than we thought. Like I, I guess the mortality rate is still higher than the flu, but much less than 1%, or at least less than 1%. Now, does that is does that make a difference in in how we as Christians are supposed to respond when it comes to things like social distancing? Or or is it good? news and bad news good news and that it's less dead bad news and that it's contagious you know and and at the end of the day the same amount of people are dying right um so i'd like to discuss that i'd also like to discuss um how how in the world are we supposed to access good news sources for this where where are some places that we can go to find facts and um thirdly what's this whole narrative about Uh, the way they're counting it, are they actually, you know, getting more money if they say that they had a COVID death? And is that incentivizing them to um, give higher numbers in the actual amount of COVID deaths? Or is it actually less because not everyone is getting counted? You know, these are some topics that are rolling around social media right now. And I'm wondering if you guys have been following it at all.
2: Anybody want to take that up?
1: I have been paying uh, not a huge amount of attention to it, so I'm not a good one to ask.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've watched it some, but it seems like it's more of the same. I I, I think in all these things, it's fascinating how, how... common the dunning-kruger effect is yeah like it it has to be one of the biggest psychological principles at play in the modern world probably because we have exposure to so many uh outlets for information and and so little uh we know so little about so many things and and i think what's you know it seems like this is, this is a real indirect way to answer your question, but it seems like since the Industrial Revolution, Western society has become more and more specialized. Like you were a bricklayer, or you were a tanner, or you worked at a machine, or you worked at a factory. And even as small as the world was, even after the automobile, you, still a lot of people kind of were from one or two towns and you knew everybody in town and you knew all your neighbors and maybe you grew up in that area and and that's rapidly changing not just in the scale of relationship but also in the scale of information it's not just the your local paper or or a few major media outlets or even you know like if you look at Vietnam you have three networks disseminating all the information on the nightly news about what's happening in Vietnam and that's being filtered through government censors and and even at that the, as much exposure as there was kind of broke the back of the war effort because people were seeing it for, firsthand, even with all the censorship. So this this idea that that now we're becoming less specialized and we're, we know a whole lot, we know a little about a whole lot of things, probably exacerbates, I'm just theorizing here, but probably yeah. exacerbates the Dunning-Kruger effect because we think we know a lot because... In one sense, we really do. We know a lot. We know a, about a lot of things, but we don't know much about them. I, I, I'm inclined to think that the, the podcast phenomenon of the last five to 10 years is probably a, a yearning for some long form, for some detailed information. Like you look at Serial or some of the other big podcasts that that changed the media narrative, the media landscape, where now you could know everything about one case. You could know, you could listen to thirty yeah. hours of information about one story, and that changed. That like it met a thirst in some kind in people generally. Yeah. So all, all that to say, I think that that it's it when something very complex like this virus, there's a lot of that going on. I, I what I so I had a conversation with a friend about masks and, and it was one of these, you know, kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to make a caricature of, of what she was saying, but it was kind of a, you know, they're taking away our freedoms. I'm not going to wear a stupid mask. It's if I'm not sick, I don't need to wear a mask. And you gotta stop and, and pull that stuff apart a little bit and say, do, do you understand what we're talking about here? Like, this is about your neighbors. And so all this kind of like re-navigation of the territory and, and redefining of what actually are we talking about and how quickly people are to jump on narratives that, that, that are just confirmation bias. Like a- another example is the Ahmad Arbery story, this kid that got shot in Georgia i don't know if i said his name right but ahmad he he you know if you're if you're left-leaning this whole story is about white devils hunting black people if you're right-leaning it's just a confusion and he was running around in a place where he didn't belong and probably was trying to steal stuff and somebody tried to stop him that's the the only two narratives that you're getting out of this and so how, who knows, uh, n- none of us were there and all we know are, are, are scant little pieces of information. How do you assess a narrative that's not ignorant? That's not just playing to either your biases or, or your propensity to the Dunning Kruger effect. And I think that being slow and betting sources is one thing but it's not a very good solution because none of us are going to do that much i mean as much time as we have in the day to catch up on whatever is relevant it's only going to be from sources that we're interested in so we're just kind of recreating that same effect what i always recommend to people and i think there might be some bad language in it but daniel schmachtenberg on on rebel media uh has several videos about sense making and and what, what his basic thesis is, is these things, whether you're talking about vaccines or COVID-19 or political controversies or economics, people spend their whole lives studying this one thing in a super specialized way. And by the end of a life of study, they'll tell you it's way more complicated than I could ever explain to you. So there's maybe a, a half a dozen people, a few dozen people that are qualified to give a real expert Uh, qualified answer on it and they'll tell you it's really hard to get it pinned down and so so what do you do i think recognizing bias is the one thing that i would to know what your bias structure is what Mm -hmm. what do i want to believe and and answering that question for yourself if we could just do that one thing especially let me make this appeal to the church if you could figure out your bias structure the things that you want to believe and understand them it's not wrong everybody does that we all have things that we want Mm. to believe i was just talking to somebody the other day about a a bias structure that i had that i wanted to believe something what was it
1: the eternal conscious part was it no
3: (laughs) oh he wants to believe that that? Um, i don't want to believe that one
1: actually (laughs) (laughs)
3: sorry that was a low-hanging fruit but Uh, i had to reach for it (laughs) that was unfair Um, but but
2: my point is that i I don't remember what it was now but to be uh, able to say i know that i'm i know that i'm leaning this direction and i need to be careful with information that just tells me what i want to hear would be a super helpful thing
3: mm -hmm. Mm yeah yeah I'm not sure if I, my internet connection is cutting out a little bit, so hopefully I didn't cut anybody off. But um, yeah, I, I would second that very much. Who are gravely biased in one direction, and they cannot and they won't entertain the possibility that they're not seeing the picture. Um, that's that's one of the things they all have in common, no matter what is that they think all they want is the truth and they think that they are unbiased um like they are pure rational agents looking at the information available and coming mm-hmm. to the only plausible conclusion and 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 and, and they'll have that face They're like no one who actually who actually wants would ever draw any different conclusion than me and and that you know that seems like like it's basically first grade when it comes to being able to make this out of the world. It's being able to step back and look at yourself and say yes, there's certain things that like I'm prone to appreciate and like there's thing inside me and I'll call it out here. I won't use the name, but hopefully he'll watch this and know who he is. Um, posted, posted a. Uh, a conspiracy prophecy video or something um and and you know so i'll study co I we're losing you anthony yeah
2: we're losing you
1: that's too bad too because it sounds good
3: okay um let me see now that's better. I'm on a hot spot here. Can you hear me? Yeah, that, that okay. picked up better. Yeah, it's kind of my internet. internet uh, Have you heard
0: of 5G? Um, Maybe you should try yeah, out 5G. Posted,
3: <laughs> hey, I'm on T Mobile. I'm supposed to get it first. Um, but I also live in rural. I get a lot of things last. But anyway, um, yeah, someone posted a Someone posted a you know heavily partisan political screed that was masked that, that was spoken in prophetic language, and then st- and then like his basis for sharing it, he was like I he didn't check this out like he doesn't know if any of this is true, but it definitely made something click inside me, and and this was like he stated that, and this is a sp- someone who's supposed to be a spiritual leader, um and and he is passing on highly divisive politically loaded information on the basis of that there's a click inside and and like that is that that's that's the first step in actually being able to learn anything is to know that when I feel that click inside when I encounter something that's that's my cue to become extremely skeptical and double check everything um because because like the best propaganda artists in the world know how to trigger that click inside you and if it does that very well there's a high probability that it's not the whole picture and that it's designed to move you to do something that's not in your interest there's a
1: story i heard uh the other day um i don't know if it's germane or not to the subject it's not germane but it's definitely german hit but um the supposedly i imagine it's a joke and not a true story but supposedly they um a american journalist was visiting uh was visiting germany back in the 1930s and um runs into somehow manages to get an audience with uh, with hitler and his cronies on his inside circle and everything and um they he starts asking him what's your plans for the future where do you want to take germany and um gearing is is like really badly wanting to tell him finally hitler says he's had a little bit much to drink finally hitler says go ahead and gearing says we're gonna kill six million jews and a postman and the reporter looks at him and says okay what's with the postman and gearing laughs and says see i told you they don't care about jews over there (laughs)
0: because
1: the only thing he noticed was the postman (laughs) oh (laughs) because <laughs> that's automatically what you ask well what's the deal with the mailman well you know and there's there's a lot of times where we do that we uh we zero in on the 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 thing that seems weird or this thing that seems interesting or the thing that that um that piques our curiosity mm-hmm. and his immediate thought isn't what in the world why are you killing all these people his first thing is you know what's postman so I heard that story the other day. I thought, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, I, one of the things that bothers me really badly about all this, the COVID-19 and everything is this idea that I can figure stuff out for myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because the thing is, everything in your life is based on what other people told you. Let me just use a really obvious example. I've never been to Boston. As far as I know, Boston doesn't exist. Now, I've met people online that say, they're, they, they even say they're in Boston right now. But how am I supposed to know that's true? And then the other day, we had this woman on here from this place called Malaysia. You know, and there's people that i will show you that on a map. Have you ever been to Malaysia? Anybody in here ever been to Malaysia? I haven't. Have you guys? I've never no. met somebody that's been to Malaysia. She claims no. she's from no. there. But the thing is... Even if you drive to the airport and buy a ticket that says you're going to Malaysia and hop in a plane and the pilot and everybody says that you're getting that you're going to Malaysia, how are you supposed to know you actually got to Malaysia when you get there?
3: It could still be a setup.
1: It could still be a setup. Or I could get in my car and drive to Boston and follow the signs. How do I know that that, that it's not uh, some type of conspiracy? I have to trust that most people out there are doing the right thing. Yeah. And once you start breaking that down, well, you could believe any preposterous thing. Yeah. I think what
2: I, I, I think I have some, what I would, what I would call general recommendations for how people should, should encounter what, and what it's based on is what does a Christian response look like? And, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is what's the most compassionate, most um thoughtful thing and kind thing that i can be doing now i i can't change government policy and i don't want to i can't dictate to the governor when he should open or close businesses i can't work through cdc research Uh, I, i i none of that's within my framework but what i can do is say okay i know there's something that's dangerous for people how dangerous is it we could debate that and maybe we won't even know for years until all the numbers come in, I think there's good reasons to think that it's very dangerous for some people. How do I be as Christian to those people who are, who are potentially in danger as I can? So like the mask controversy is a great one. Like when I wear a mask, it's not to keep me from getting sick. It's to keep you from getting sick from me. That's an, that's an uber Christian response. I like yes. I wanna care about the community around me. So when I face that issue, and and if government recommends or requires me to wear a mask, are Christian people the most likely to do the thing that's the most cautious and the most helpful to their fellow man or the least? And sadly, in many, many cases that I'm encountering, Christians are the least likely to think about their neighbors, the least likely to think about other people. I don't wanna wear a mask because it's a minor inconvenience to me. So who is the government to tell me they're taking my rights away? I don't right. think that's a right response. I no. don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not a medical researcher. I have friends who are, who are doctors. I've, you know, we, we, we know people who are involved in medicine and what's happening, but I'm not there. I don't know. I'm not sitting in an emergency room. I have no idea. I don't know how billing works for Medicare and what they're doing for COVID patients. I know that our private medical system is is in in real danger because the medical system shut down just like a lot of industry has except for COVID. And so there's the the medical industry certainly isn't getting rich over this. What Mm -hmm. I can say is this, given that complex of an issue and given that we know it is a real threat to some people, we should just be cautious. So Mm -hmm. if the government says, we recommend you wear a mask, wear a mask. What does that hurt me? If now what I'll say is this yeah. too, I went for a drive with my wife the other day, we went um, about an hour out of the city to, to go pick something up from somebody. And uh, I was driving through the sticks out there. And I was like, you know, I can understand why people who live out here are upset at shutdowns. Like I've got people all around me all the time. The idea that people are cross pollinating viruses is something that's Ever present in front of me every time I leave my house, I see people everywhere. If I lived on my little chunk of land and I saw fifty people a month, uh, I I might say, "What is all this about? Why is this?" And I think there's a good there's a there's a reasonable thing that's being said that says, you know, we should have a metered response to this. If if somewhere is under a greater threat, take greater precautions. If somewhere's under, if you're in rural Oklahoma it's probably not as big of a threat like let those people do their thing that Mm -hmm. seems sensible now i still think that these kinds of cases are where there there are authorities and i i have for this anarchist i'll tell you this the one thing i've told people that i've learned through all this is it has really quite tampered down my anarchistic tendencies i see very much the role of of civil structures in coordinating and organizing societies mm-hmm. for the good of man and that's good for me because oh, i that's not the side of state that i typically interact with and so i've really been encouraged to see god's wisdom in in even leaders that i i very much don't appreciate on a personal moral level i still see their functioning capacity as being for the general good and so mm-hmm. i think that's the case with all this stuff I. I I think we should just listen and do the most compassionate thing that we can within within what reasonable request that, that's being made. Yeah, That's my take.
0: And Anthony, earlier you were talking about the propaganda machine um, and, and the little check can, that you feel when you read certain things. And I think that we could also have a conversation about the rage machine and outrage culture because I feel myself getting sucked up in it to where when I scroll Facebook and see people that I know and care about uh, posting conspiracy theories. I mean, conspiracy theories have become mainstream right now. Like they, more than any other time in my life, more and more people are embracing them. Yeah. and it just, but, but when I get outraged at that, I, I think to myself, why am I so mad right now? Well, maybe it's righteous indignation. <laughs> I, I could say that or i could say no the the political propaganda machine is affecting me cuz i don't get that outraged over matthew's views on the holy kiss even though i disagree with his views on the holy kiss i don't even get that outraged at over people who believe that same sex marriage is okay and i think same sex marriage is, is sinful but i don't i don't get outraged at that right it it doesn't make me mad like the, the one thing that makes me mad the most is, or the, the few things would be, you know, the Christian embrace of Donald Trump, um, conspiracy theories, this whole Christianization of the right wing. Um or right wingization of Christianity. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but but why? Why do I get so mad about this? And so I, I look around me and I realize everyone else is getting mad about this. Whether you're on the left or on the right, there is just this rage right now. And to me, that, that makes me think, I don't think this is righteous indignation. Otherwise, why yeah. are sinners experiencing this too? And it just makes me pull back and be like, okay, people have views that I disagree with. That's fine. I don't need to get so mad about it. Um, there, <laughs> there's probably bigger fishes to fry than, than countering conspiracy theories. It doesn't seem to help. Just everyone calm down and <laughs> go about your merry way, loving your neighbor and proclaiming the gospel and making disciples um, and, and focusing on what really matters. So that's, that's something I've been having to work through, um, through all this too. Because I think COVID has brought out the worst of of people. Like it just really has.
2: Well, the thing is, it's it's um it it it, it's it means something different when it's your own people. And I think that taking it taking up offense for the church is something that we're all kind of inclined to do. When we see when we see flag waving, bowing to Trump in the name of Christian people, it's really, really offensive. And, and it, it, it's, it, it makes me much more indignant than, than a gay pride parade through, through Boston because I expect the world to be that way, mm-hmm. but I don't expect my own people to be that way. And I think that's where the rub is. Now, how do we deal with that? I think the other thing is that like to sit down and have conversations across this line are so polarizing and it takes so much work to keep the tone of those conversations mellow. Like even those conversations I had this week, um, it takes a lot of a lot of patience and a lot of discourse to talk somebody around these roadblocks if you can and and I th- and I think generally, yeah, and I think generally it's more work than it's worth unless it's somebody mm-hmm. that you care about very very much and it's easier just to get annoyed and frustrated and and make a uh, make a group where you can have some laughs and go on with your life.
0: Who would do that?
3: <laughs> well, yeah, that sounds that sounds very uh, that sounds very it's like like jesting. That sounds like something that would send me to hell. Um, but but I, I I do think to to pull back and and get um, very like metaphysical about this i think there's something i think there is an element of that like that's what that's why that's what pro-trump people cannot understand about why a christian would be so upset about that kind of endorsement that the right wing is doing is like they think it's a political thing well I just don't like trump like everybody else doesn't like trump right no it's it's like if if i saw people that i was close to like using messianic language about Barack Obama, I would be very angry and offended Um, or about Bernie Sanders or anyone like that. But they didn't do it about those people. Um, They, this is the Messiah they chose. And, and that's not overstating the case. So, so it's essentially, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching my people be betrayed by large numbers of, of us, you know, are just like jumping ship and following a different Messiah. That's something that makes a person feel angry and betrayed. It's the way the disciples felt about Judas, to be perfectly honest. Um, um, and and that's, that's the way a person who's loyal to Christ ought to feel when people are, you know, you know it's, it's exactly the same as the, as the Israelites um, making a golden calf and saying, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. They're still, they're, they're, they're holding a feast to Yahweh around. that's Um, So we should be angry about that. But there's also an element of what Titus is saying that when a hot button issue comes up, and you suddenly see all these conspiracy theories, it's not like COVID-19 conspiracy theories. It's not necessarily a faith issue um, around. I mean, it's not necessarily a it's an information processing issue for a lot of people it's not a matter of allegiance necessarily um and and why do certain things tend to like i feel the same the same thing that he's describing certain things just really trigger me more than others and i think that's when it's really important to be aware that there are spirits at work in this world that are that mm-hmm. are are using use they're, they're very opportunistic and when something comes up that that there's an opportunity to polarize people, that they will like they're they're right there, just encouraging the warfare. They they want to see people that normally would love each other at each other's throats. They want to, they love it when relationships fall apart, long, you know, lifelong friendships. The breaking point because of something stupid that people disagreed about, and. And there are many, and those spirits have many willing proxies in this world. They have, and, and many of them exist for instance, in the, in the world of punditry and, and politics who, who, are, who are in lockstep with that, with that plan to divide people up into tribes because it profits them. And so I, I really think that we need to understand that as one of those, that, that sense of, of rage that can manifest itself on social media as one of the manifestations of a spiritual battle that's going on. Um, And those spirits do not care what political side a person is taking in the argument. They don't care whether you believe in the conspiracy theory or don't believe in the conspiracy theory. Most, what they care most about is that they're destroying relationships and, and um, causing people to waste their energy attacking each other instead of fighting the spirits that are, that are enslaving the world and I
2: I really appreciate this comment from Rosanna she said people are worried about the future they don't worry as much about their health when it isn't happening to them they have a lot of time right now to think less charitable thoughts and also less people to temper their thoughts with I think those are both two really salient points about all this that along with how do I be compassionate to people around me it's also how do I how do I put myself in someone else's shoes and to try to say to to try to have these conversations around okay are you sure enough that you're willing to own somebody's parents dying because you wanted you didn't want to listen because you wanted to be careless because you didn't want a mask on like that's a really if 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 you can pass this thing around for up to a week before you're symptomatic you could be responsible for people dying and that's something that should bother christians and, and then the, the idea that we're all kind of like stuck in our own little worlds right now, shaping our own little narratives. We've got these, mm-hmm. we're literally looking at the world through a window right now. And that's a highly mm-hmm. suggestive place with not a lot of uh, external inputs. And that's the, that's the kind of place that's really ripe for these stukia that you're talking about, Anthony, the stukia tukusmu, the elemental spirits of the world. That that are at work in in, in shaping and uh, destroying humanity, that's a fertile ground for that. So, how do we counterbalance that isolation and and you know, I'm I'm stuck with me and my family for whatever reasons or whatever small set of people, I don't have, I don't have a lot of input. So then when we do have input, it's on Facebook or some other social media form. And it's all so much vitriol. It's so much, you know, henpecking and fighting with each other that, that everybody's just getting more and more entrenched in their position. Yeah. Yeah. What I've been trying to do in some of these conversations too, is try to find the reasonable concern. And that's not always easy, but it's a, it's a real reasonable concern that people are losing jobs and don't know where their paychecks are coming from. And I think if we can hear that out and say, okay, I get it. You're right. That's a big deal. How do we balance that? How do we balance that? It's not one or the other. How do we balance these concerns? And do we recognize that it has to be a balance? Like, I think people are all one side or the other, and we've, we've got to put both of those together if we're going to have sensible conversations about it. Something that,
1: um, the, uh, something that the, the wearing the mask thing that I've thought about, even if you think wearing masks is silly, or let's even suppose we, we knew that, um, that wearing masks was useless, um, that it was a complete waste of time. The fact is the world around us doesn't, I mean, everybody else believes it. I mean, right. to me, it kind of feels like taking a gun that you know isn't loaded and waving it around and pointing at people. You're going to make right. people feel uncomfortable. While oh, the right. dumb people, the gun isn't even loaded. Well, they they think it's loaded. It feels loaded to them. They don't, or maybe they don't know. Um, it's not. It's not a Christian thing to do. Right. Um, so yeah, I just I've been rolling that. That kind of hit me the other day. Um, Rolling that around,
0: yeah. Good stuff.
1: How How where are we at, Matthew? Well, I I'm
2: on
3: my phone now. I lost my computer. So oh,
1: okay. So we I can just roll on forever
3: a, then. We're rolling up on a quarter to uh, nine. So, yeah, I need to get off here pretty quick. So. All right.
2: Well, uh, that uh, that I'm happy with where we all ended up. I um I think we should put some some commercials out and and request some input from people what they want to hear discussed. Yeah. And uh, do we need to find a, a stand in for you for next week, Titus?
0: Um, I'm kind of taking a break with my other podcast right now, um, so I might be able to make it, but I'll let you know.
3: Okay. I am. A- I'll just, just tease this a little bit, and maybe you guys can be thinking of people if this one falls through, but I'm currently um, uh, working on maybe having an appearance by someone I know personally who's a nurse, an ER nurse, um, who might be able to answer some specific questions about COVID-19 that people would have, um, and who could at least speak to the issue like, um, from working in a hospital environment right now. Um, like, is this standard practice to cook the numbers? Um, you know, a lot of these assertions that are being made in the conspiracy uh, videos that are going around. Um, do, you, do the rest of you think that would be something that, we, that would be um, useful to do? Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, sure. All right, I, I'll keep, I'm not sure if he's going to give his consent yet, but uh, if he does, we'll announce that later on. Um, it, is, it is interesting. I think to that, that would be something that we can. Go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just saying it is interesting to me that as soon as the, the numbers go over the flu numbers, um, suddenly the numbers aren't accurate anymore. <laughs> you know, If the numbers right. would have stayed below it, that probably would have never become a thing. Well, then those numbers
3: would have been very accurate. <laughs> yeah it's kind of I, like the opinion polls the like the opinion polls are are a proof that Don, everybody loves Donald Trump until they show that he's not popular and then they're all cooked.
0: yeah
1: right
2: I think I would recommend uh everybody um if you haven't read the introduction to orthodoxy where Chesterton describes the madman yeah, look it up on i think you can probably get it on google it's an old enough book it's probably out of copyright but the way that he describes a madman is is it, like he should have called it the conspiracy theorist there's a way of thinking that he describes as insanity um, yeah. in the beginning of orthodoxy that the the he says the problem with the the madman is not that he is illogical it's that he can only be logical and everything conforms in a circle like uh, and he uses these examples. He says, "If suppose a man thinks himself the king of England, and all men have a conspiracy against him, anything you would do to try to persuade him otherwise is evidence of his theory." And he, yeah. he yep. described several different people that are in that state of the circular logic.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
3: brilliant. Yeah, it's when when every when every detail of what you observe has a reason for being that way that has to and you can incorporate it into your in, in into your little structure then you're probably crazy yeah mm-hmm. we should drop that in the uh we should drop that uh, link into the um uh video description and and maybe the podcast notes um whoever's doing that and and um also maybe matthew if you could get Whoever's posting the podcast, the link to the uh, those Daniel Schmachtenberger um, mm, videos, yeah, that'd yeah, be a good idea. You recommended,
0: and maybe maybe a, a link to Infowars too, just so they hear both sides.
3: <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: Did you see the video of him saying he's going to eat his neighbors? No. Oh my goodness. May, maybe don't try to find it, if, but. <laughs> Yeah, um, Alex Jones is planning to eat his neighbors.
3: Well, when you've been kicked off the platform, you have to do something to keep your listeners coming back.
0: Well, with Drew, Drew's already
2: on it. He put he posted the comment. So the last comment that I'm seeing on our on our feed is orthodoxy by chesterton.
0: There you go. A very nuanced understanding, I hope.
1: Yes. Well, Drew wouldn't be recommending it otherwise. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks again.
3: It's good to be with you. All right. Blessings to you guys. Peace. Yep. Good night.